dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 817 Podcast, where we talk everything from business, politics, news, trends, and culture in the city of Fort Worth and Tarrant County and the greater DFW Metroplex. I'm Jimmy, here with my host, EJ. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good, man. Uh, I feel like uh, this is going to be a solid episode. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I mean, I would get like your pen and paper just in case you hear anything that pops, because this is this was an exciting news week, in my opinion. So exciting, we're not even going to talk about who registered for, like, the city yeah. positions. If you, uh, if you know somebody, if you know anybody, <laughs> if you have any contacts in your phone, you probably know somebody who filed to run for <laughs> city council or mayor in the past week. Yeah. Uh, and everybody yeah, and their mama. Everybody and their mama si- signed up. If you, like, January in general across the board is kind of like a lull of a month right like we're coming off the holidays everyone's like oh i'm going back to work i'm doing dry january even with journalism it's yeah i'm, a not, little do- bit, I'm not doing dry january no <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of it's always a, a little bit of a slower news time and i feel like this week was the week where i was like okay like we've gotten over the holiday slump like we're we're back in business yeah. now Pe- people applying for uh uh to run uh in in city elections felt a little like people coming back to the gym on january yeah yeah. (laughs) you know know, it's full in january everybody has their new resolution they're gonna get you know physically fit that's what it feels like running for districts right now which is a good thing like people getting civically involved i don't want to knock it but it's literally i feel like man i can't keep up with who's ran and shout out to the fort worth report for i feel like each each news organization has their thing that's good and i like that fort worth report notifies everyone who is running and gives yeah. a little brief on them. Yep. Um, but we are going to save all of those until like after the filing deadline so that we can just kind of do one like big thing about it. Uh, but like always, we are going to start with our small stories today, our short stories, move on to our big story for the week and then finish with our wins and losses. Love it. So we're going to dive into um, one that, I feel like a constant, a constant like win for Tarrant County and Fort Worth is our area food bank um, for, you know, two residents of the east side. I see their impact on a regular basis um, and what they provide for the community. And so Tarrant, Tarrant County uh, Food Bank's latest advancements is a 7,500 square foot hub, which is expected to be completed early August. Uh, It will be adjacent to their already administrative office. But what's really exciting about this hub is that um, it's building a food network nationally uh, and and has the possibility of really having a connection with other um, local areas around the country. For instance, Rio Grande Valley, uh, Arizona, um, and, and you're talking about feeding nearly a half a million people through this growth. Tarrant County and the city of Fort Worth jointly funded the purchase with $8 million from the American Rescue Plan Act. We also said W. Richardson Foundation donated money to also participate into it. And the Texas Area Food Bank is on a new fundraising for $2.5 million. Um, looks like to uh, assist in the growth of the, of their success. Anything I said that felt like I missed on that one? Oh, it, it kind of gives me like... Uh... Settlers of Catan vibes where <laughs> it's like we 
are now like this hub that will have all of this produce coming into it. And so we're trading um, with places in Oklahoma and Arkansas that have even better access to protein. So we're swapping that back and forth. And then we're working as like the middleman with farms from Arizona to get all this produce. Um, so I, it's a, a really cool thing that we are going to be, you know, alongside feeding America, um, as this large hub for the entire region for making sure that people that need access to better food options are getting that. Yeah, so 200 food banks in the nationwide network, and we are going to be seen as a hub of that. So that's super cool. And they're talking about it feeling very consumer, where people can come, grab kind of grocery store-ish, while then also learning about different foods and nutrition. Um, it seems like that's the like a, a mission market inside the Ag Hub is what um, Butner, who's the leading person in this quote of the article, um, so that's awesome. I think it's a super, I mean, honestly, when I, when I think of things that shouldn't be capitalistic, you know, food, housing, I mean, to me, it's like, this to me is a prime example of how you provide Maslow's basic needs, um, to people, uh, in a socially conscious way. Yeah. Like everyone should have the right to access to quality food regardless of what you're able to afford and that kind of leads into our second short story which is about the 70 million dollar Rosedale renovation product project that is moving ahead but residents still remain concerned about a grocery store that was one of the big promises of this with the new and redesigned plans for the Evans and Rosedale project was that the food desert over here and over in that area would finally get fixed, that we would get a grocery store in there that provided access to quality food to people that don't have the ability to drive over three miles to get to the nearest grocery store or take a bus that takes forever, like an hour just to go get groceries. Um, but it sounds like they're having trouble attracting a grocery store and it's kind of like a chicken and the egg thing. Like the grocery store chains want to see, uh, you know, plans and statistics about residents and income level and everything, but like to commit to the plans that have a grocery store people doing the planning want to know a grocery store is coming in um which i don't know i it kind of we're we're like 20 years in to city officials promising a grocery store for the neighborhood and it still hasn't happened and like you're telling me we haven't figured out how to have the conversation of hey this is where it is i know when you type in the address to your little spreadsheet, it's going to tell you that the demographics of this say, don't build a store here, but we're investing money here. We are redeveloping this area. We're trying to breathe life into here. So let's talk about why those numbers don't tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just surprising to me that that conversation has gone nowhere or keeps just kind of looping and going in a circle. Yeah, and and, and this is seems like, Tarrant Food Bank is a great example of like, thank God it's there, you know, being able to support in this situation until 
a grocery store possibly comes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, um, it's right how compatible this is, and, and, and our food bank is successful because what you're saying, HEB or Kroger or whoever sees the Excel data, and they're looking at their numbers, and, oh, let's go build in Frisco, not let's build in Fort Worth, even though there's this huge gap. And cause, now we have one of the most successful parent food banks because, you know, capitalistic grocery stores are looking at numbers and the numbers don't match. And so what what does Fort Worth does or even the state or the country do when the numbers don't match and we have to pick up the slack because people don't see, oh, this is a profitable region uh, on something like uh, grocery stores. Yeah, and uh, so the area in general is meant to be very walkable, very bike-friendly, um, you know, multifamily, mixed-use, where people are living on top of the stores that they need to survive or to get what they need. Um, I mean, it seems like the ideal place for a grocery store to come in here. Um, so I, it's a little frustrating to read that, I mean, we started talking about this like two years ago. That's something that Chris Nettles like campaigned on. Um, and then once this development gets announced, it's like, okay, like the ball's rolling. Like we're going to see this next step of like solving this food desert. Nicole Manna had her massive series about what the uh, – expected life expectancy for that zip code and how something simple like a grocery store adding medical accessibility would solve so much of that and now it's like okay we're still here early 2023 talking about how we can't convince a grocery store to commit to this yeah yeah and it's so powerful what 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 journalism and news does i mean great context and bringing back the 76104 story and what has that 76104 story? I mean, it even inspired the Braver Foundation, mm-hmm. you know, and like when you get good news locally, it inspires people to take action, you know, um, and, and, and I had the chance to speak with one of the Braver teams this weekend about this. And this definitely needs to be on the radar and probably a goal. And, and, and it seems like a, um, a goal that they should try to help with as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. how can you partner with the braver foundation or, or, or like a local group like that to help pitch to grocery stores. Why, yeah. why this, this is needed and why you will also thrive. Yeah. So, um, let's go ahead into the final story, which to me is it's, you know, me and you kind of said, we don't want to touch this because we didn't feel educated on this, but it's now, I feel like the story of Fort Worth and it's the whole, um, the curfew, right? Fort Worth will allow uh, its teen curfew to lapse February 13th in, an, in anticipation of state lawmakers banning the practice in Texas municipalities. City officials confirmed Friday. So the the, the state is going to have a conversation about it next month. So we're, we're just, I guess, going to stop. But what, what's really big about it is just like, I think this is the first time when you see our new young city council stand up for something they believe in really heavily. You know, Jared Williams, uh, Chris Nettles talking about how black youth are disp- disproportionately cited for violations. Forty percent of violations, actually, um, it was was the number, which was a lot higher um, than than, than um, Hispanic or Caucasian um, 
what it, now that we have a week with this story and we've seen it grown um, to be the heated conversation in city council, what what are what, what are some things that are registering with you? The the first thing that sticks out to me, I agree with you. I really love seeing, especially uh, Jared Williams, like stand up and make a stand on this. Um, and I think he's got a lot of great ideas behind what he wants to accomplish. Um, but what stands out to me is that like as a city council overall, it's another thing that we're not really making a decision on, right? Like Maddie is just going to kind of kick the ball down the road until the power to make this decision doesn't lie with her anymore so that she doesn't have to actually stand up and vote on something that might piss some white parents off. Um, and so that's kind of frustrating to me is I, I feel like almost everything with this city council that we've continually brought up, it's been like, ah, like they didn't actually end up really making a decision on this. They kind of just, you know, kept punting until we maintain the status quo. And this was something that they could easily get in front of the, uh, state taking away control and saying like jared williams says we have 30 years of data this doesn't help anything which like obviously it is a band-aid solution that doesn't do anything um but if you just like observationally look around and say this is going to be um something that like curbs teen violence like obviously that hasn't happened just from what we see in the news and what continues to happen. Um, so I, 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 yeah. And, and, you know, looking at the data that was kind of shared here, you know, like it says, black teenagers accounted for roughly 40% of citations in 2020 compared to 30% for Hispanic teenagers and 22% for white teenagers. Um, in 2021, it was 42%. Um, for black teenagers, 37% for Hispanic and 26 for white teenagers. I really appreciate this breakdown of numbers because the number that's been being shared by, uh, I think it was United Fort Worth has been like 60% since 2020 have been for black and brown teenagers, which 55% of Fort Worth is black and brown. So yeah. the difference between 60 and 55 is not that but that's not a statistically significant difference for me to conclude that this was a race based yeah. thing but when black when the black population in fort worth is like 18% and 30% are or, and 40% are getting cited that tells me yeah where are, where are you pulling people over for this where are you citing people for this because it's clearly more targeted than just lumping those groups of people together uh, comes across. So I appreciate the star telegrams breakdown on those numbers. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate Elizabeth Beck's suggestion here on, um, like violations, not ending up on teenagers records. Like that's, that's silly. Um, and then Gina Bivens also uh, suggested adding a meeting and stop six. Um, I mean, just in, in, in this week, I mean, we were supposed to have a meeting scheduled February 1st, for public discussion about this. And now they just postponed it, like you said, and said, let's see what the state does. And the reason why Fort Worth can't continue to do that is the state's political demographics is very different than our purple city. Mm. So if the answer is, let's see what the state says. A lot of that times that's not going to be good for Fort Worth because 
you know what the what the state's trying to do compared to what the what the city does it's just different but it looks like based off of the fort worth report article that we read it, it seemed like you know there was a it seems like the state is looking to yeah like i would remove. say this is and an that's one yeah, yeah. That, yeah and like one positive yeah a one positive way but doing that all the time can get dangerous is right. basically what uh, I, I think um but yeah yeah i also just don't consider it a good use of police resources which let's be honest they essentially have unlimited resources like jared williams says like we don't need to be initiating interactions between our youth and the police for no reason for like an up to $500 fine. Like that's not a good use of anybody's time, but he introduced what he's calling the community assisted response and engagement for minors, um, which would assemble a trained interdisciplinary teams of adults that consist of at least a social worker, a fighter, fighter, EMT, a police officer, and two community members. Um, these teams would be assigned to respective service areas that are responsible for providing support and resources to address the needs of affected minors and their families, develop an evidence-based protocol for services, including safety assessments, child needs assessment, parent-guardian communication partnership, resource connections, and navigating kids to safe spaces, uh, develop and require annual training for team members. Like, across the board, giving teens and their families the resources they need to solve the problems for why kids might need to be out late. And, like, we've talked about before, some of them are, a lot of them are working. Like, a lot of them are trying to help provide for their family, and you're telling them they can't have a closing shift now? Like, that they can't work after a certain time, that they really can't take a shift at all because if they're getting done with school and maybe an extracurricular by, like, 4, they have to be home by 11, which means a place has to close by 10 so that they can clean and then drive home. Like, you're just not providing much of a window for these kids to actually help their families. So let's take a look at what they need. Let's create teams that help aid in those resources and i i was really bummed with uh maddie parker's response to jared williams suggestion being well like we'll have to take a look it sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money like you're telling me we don't have the budget to do this that's insane yeah like that is absolutely absurd to suggest that we need to be more fiscally responsible than doing something efficient that supports our kids like and, you're and we you're gave, telling, and we gave the surge of money to police yeah you know. like you're telling me that you value quote-unquote fiscal responsibility more than the well-being and livelihood of our teenagers in this city like i know that you say that we're going to take a like police supported approach rather than a community supported approach but like come on that's is so ridiculous to think what minuscule amount of money this is going to take to do yeah and call that fiscally irresponsible yet spend in so many of the other ways that we do and you know we here at 817 podcasts i just uh reached out to jared see if he'd come on the pod to talk about this i think it'd be cool if he comes in next week or yeah. two um to talk more about this project and maybe we can get into the cost and maybe we can get into like the sustainability of it let's see what happens jared if you're listening or anybody who knows jared 
Let's have him on the interview. Um, well, we're 20 minutes in, and we just hit the short story. So this is going to be a long one, beautiful people. Yeah. So get your seats uh, strapped in and get ready to go, because this big story uh, is, I've been excited to get to. Um, it, I'm going to do my best to take all the stories that are um, around Texas. Uh, the big stories about Texas is growth, uh, but also how Dallas-Fort Worth plays in that growth. And we're just going to have a big discussion of what does all this mean for Fort Worth. Um, so where I want to start here is I'm going to first start about, obviously, we know population growth. Uh, Texas is estimated to increase more than 70% over the next 50 years from over 29 million people in 2020 to 51 million people by 2070. Um, but what you're seeing already by Dallas-Fort Worth is that we were number one in population growth. Uh, Texas was number one in adding uh, jobs in 2022. Um, and what we've seen was, which was a surprise nationally, you know, it seems like Biden's campaign campaign and plans are actually working. 3% GDP growth nationally. Texas was 5%. But what was exciting is that Dallas-Fort Worth was 5.9%, nearly double the national average when you talk to economic growth. And so as we continue to go down this path here, for perspective, the amount of jobs that Dallas-Fort Worth added last year was more than 46 states. And it accounted for 36% of Texas net gains. All right. And so uh, when you look at the population growth as well, you're also seeing a growth in uh, education uh, growth, how, how educated we are. Uh, we've seen a percent increase since 2016 in Tarrant County by 17%. Denton County saw 32%. Collin County, 24%. And Dallas, 14%. Uh, what was also interesting of that population growth is work from home growth. So Collin County grew 30%, Dallas 16%, Denton 25%, and Tarrant 15%. Um, if you saw the graph, we're the least of that of that growth in work from home and second to last on like the educated growth. That's important to know as we get back to that topic. On top of all this, DFW is number one for housing growth. Um, we're also number one in uh, hotel growth, um, building building hotels. Um, so a lot is a lot is happening here. Uh, I'm going to stop there. Let you hop into this, and what does all that say to you? And 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 where do you see that um, Texas growth happening? But it's truly DFW is the number one spot of that growth in the state. Yeah, and. Uh- I think we'll continue to talk more about this, but when we talk about Fort Worth's role in this and Fort Worth's growth as a city, I think it is important to have an accurate picture of who we are as a city, right? Like I think in general, it is very important to have an accurate perspective on who you are as a person, how you operate. And uh, that goes for the city as well. And, uh, I think a lot of this data points to the fact that Fort Worth will continue to grow as the Metroplex grows, but it's not going to grow as an innovation hub. It's going to grow as an infrastructure hub. And you've got 
more stories on how we fit into that. Um, but uh, I think it's important to you to have that accurate lens of who we are as a city so that we can properly manage the growth that is coming instead of trying to be something that we're not. Yeah. And the, the, the two indicators in the last two weeks that give me that behavior is one, the work from home, that work from home data, right? I mean, 30% um, in the Collin County area, the Denton area, and those also places which work from home is that knowledge-based worker kind of language, right? And so, um, and, and right, Denton County and um, Collin County kind of sits both Frisco and like that Frisco population, you know, with, uh, and, and, and so that, that, that to me is a one example where like the innovation workers aren't in Fort Worth, you know, like what you said, the infrastructure workers are, we're the manufacturing, we're the, uh, we're the baseline of the things you need. Uh, but the innovators, um, that design R and D don't necessarily, I believe live in Tarrant County, which is not inherently a yeah, bad yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. It's just important to, work out of that foundational perspective rather than trying to strive to be something that we don't have a foundation laid to be. Yeah. Yeah. And like another like statistic, um, that really showed me that we're not an innovation hub, uh, from a knowledge base workers, right? We're, we're down on work from home compared to other counties, but it's also what I found fascinating is the growth of, of, the Asian population in Texas. Um, for those of us of, of who may not know, Asians are the state's fastest growing population with Indian Americans being the largest group in that category. Overall, Texas has the second largest Indian American population in the country. Now, why is that important? Uh, from an economic perspective, um, Indian Americans share, uh, has set 75% have a graduate degree where the national average is 38%, you know, college degree. Um, so when you think of knowledge-based workers who maybe can work from home, right, that's that's a kicker. More than half of Indian American employees um, work in three industries, computer science, mathematics, management, and healthcare. Uh, management and healthcare, they pit as uh, one industry. Um, so like when you look at the, the growth of Asian Americans as a whole in Texas, but then Indian Americans, this is what I found fascinating. And this is an article out of Star Telegram. It was a Sunday story and they did a great job talking about this. But it's that you have to look at the growth is in Collin County where the grew from 3.8% to 7.5%. All right, let, let me explain that again. Seven, uh, eight out of every 100 people in Collin County is Indian Asian American. Think about that. Right. Uh, to perspective to Tarrant County, it's went from 0.9% to 1.1%. We, I mean, just, it just didn't do any real, yeah, 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 insignificant. So why is that also like, so from like, when you look at that, like that is also like culturally they're having those white collar jobs that allows for work from home, which also allows for bigger salaries, which also allows for bigger money. So now you see, right, the Frisco's of the world, universal, um, building, you know, a half a billion dollar Omni hotel. Um, you know, the list goes on. Heck, if casinos ever become a thing in Texas, guaranteed Frisco's going to win that 
Suns deal. Yeah. And, and, and Mark Cuban's going to build his next stadium there. Uh, his So, like, the other big stat here on this was that why this is important, you know, is Indian Asian Americans also make up 5% of all businesses in Collin, Denton, Dallas, and Tarrant counties. All right? That they're, they're half, uh, no, a third of all Asian businesses. So, like, economic growth is 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 in that innovation isn't happening in Tarrant County just off of like the work from home data and the population data on like white knowledge based workers who are predominantly Indian American like that that migration showcases that we are we are not the innovation hub we are like you said the infrastructure hub yeah and again like it's not right. an inherently bad thing i would I would love the diversity um, that those areas offer. And it's like when we want to get uh, Korean food, when we want to get Indian food, we drive to Carrollton, we drive to Irving um, because that's where so much of that community uh, has uh, moved to. Um, But like the flip side of that is we do have a lot relying on us manufacturing wise in Fort Worth. Yeah. You have that, um, that graph that I thought was interesting too, that, that if it that you could bring up, but, but like the, the areas where I think for this is like, it's okay for Fort Worth being an infrastructure hub. I'm not, we're like we said, it's not a bad thing. Um, but we're not the, we're, we're, we're going to rock in manufacturing water, deterrent regional water district, the amount of, stories that talked about this growth i mean the dallas morning news had a whole story how texas may face shortage of water um with that with the population increasing um about 45 percent of the water needed to sustain that population will need to come from um, conservation and reuse and when i looked at this that story um the people that was constantly being quoted or talking about strategies from coca-cola to the airport it was Fort Worth, Fort Worth, Tarrant Regional Water District. So obviously we're important to the Metroplex, right? From from water, alliance and manufacturing, Texas A&M coming. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the statistic you're about to come into, go ahead and share that statistic. Yeah, and when we're talking about clean energy, um, so Biden's infrastructure bill and the Inflation Reduction Act um, – is beefing up tax credits and other support for clean energy products. And the uh, places that are thriving the most off of that are Republican counties, and especially Texas. Texas has like two or three of the top 10 uh, congressional districts for clean energy capacity that is being brought online. And in 2022, more than 40% of Texas power was carbon free. That's nuclear, wind, and solar. So when the grid goes down, they try and blame it on that. Like, no, that's actually what's out here supplying our power. Um, And a a common characteristic of these districts and one that Tarrant County shares is that we have land. Like, we have space where if somebody wanted to come in and build a solar farm, if somebody wanted to come in and build a wind farm, like, we have the capacity for that. And... To have that close to the Metroplex or in the Metroplex in general is something and 
an investment that I think it would be wise for somebody to come into Fort Worth and make. Like I, with all of the tax credits being offered for it, like Fort Worth is an ideal home for renewable energy sources, which along with the water district, make it a massive hub for renewable resources. Yeah, shout out to Urban Fort Worth. Um, I, I, I'm actually, that's another person I would love to interview on the pod. I I, I don't know if the, he, she, they would come on to pod, but um, I don't know if you saw that tweet I sent you. It, it literally, it, like, what you just said about land is insane. How So water and land are two things we got over pretty much all metroplexes, right? They show Tarrant County compared to other cities. Look at Houston. We're all the way up in Kingwood Spring uh, to compared to Houston, San Antonio. I mean, we're we're New Bronzeville. Like, look yeah. how like <laughs> like San like you imagine being in New Bronzeville and like wow, I'm still in San Antonio. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, Austin, you look how far out you're almost you to Georgetown. Georgetown. I know it's insanity. Um, so then when you look at it from um, like American other cities, look at it to New York. Like you're, you you've got Newark in there. You're out past Matt, Mount Vernon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, look at that. Look at the, let's look at uh, Washington, D.C. I mean, look at that. Columbia. Look at San Francisco. Yeah. In San Francisco, you basically cover the entire <laughs> Bay Area. Yeah. And then you're, you know, you're even a bonus for you, your European cities. Barcelona, you, you, we basically cover, you know, their ocean. Yeah, at least they've got a train that would get you out there <laughs> faster than it takes to drive from downtown to our house. <laughs> right. Uh, Paris, look at that. Yeah. London, look at that. Well, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes for y'all to look at it. I know that probably doesn't help you with me, <laughs> me saying look at that and y'all can't look at it. So, like, that, that, is, that, that is also, like, super true there, right? It's like, so, bonus for Fort Worth as the infrastructure, right? Land, water, um, the the climate energy piece um so like what's also frustrating what, what's frustrating what he just said about like how many of the congressional districts and how much of the leading money that goes for climate goes to red districts is how annoying that is because all the red politicians talk about how climate change is not real all this stuff doesn't matter and yet you're getting all the benefit for that so that that's number one so be careful on like you know quit acting like you're anti green energy when we're benefiting from it and making jobs out of it and leading in it. All right. We love when Texas leads. Well, you know what we're leading in green energy. All right. So quit. Now the number two thing is I also think it's funny how Texas is really big and Republicans is nationally. Hmm. They're trying to take away affirmative action and their leverages is like they're suing universities because Asian Americans have been, uh, judged on and not taken, uh, has been, I guess, an, a disadvantage being Asian applying to college. And like you see a lot of Texas uh, and Florida trying to tag saying like, hey, you know, Asians have been treated against affirmative action and race uh, d- incorrectly, but it's because it's the fastest growing popu- voting population, right? It's, it's because today two of every three Asian Americans voted for Joe Biden, not Donald Trump. Mm. And so with this growth, with and, and if you want to feel to be heard, um, you're now telling a story that, you know, my wife, who is Asian, she did experience that. 
But what's happening is like they're trying to trigger Republicans are trying to trigger that so that Asians now feel heard and the people who now they feel heard from is Greg, Governor Abbott and Dan Patrick because the the Democrats are busy on equity of blacks and, and Hispanics. And so like I just also want you to note they're like that's also going to be an interesting dynamic is how these people vote as they get older. I saw something in the story how like the average uh, Indian American is like 19 so, so it's like, so as we get older, like, I think that's also a fascinating story around all of this, um, is what does all of this do to, uh, Republican messaging? Cause you're lying on the, on the, that you don't want the climate stuff. Cause you are, rece- we, we are receiving conservative States are receiving it. And I see what you're doing, trying to get Asian votes by connecting to the, you know, the challenge of college enrollment for Asians when applying because like we just saw so many of Asian Americans actually get college degrees compared mm-hmm. to other races. So that's what I'm interested in see that propaganda. So this was a good, big, big story. <laughs> I think this big story couldn't have happened if me and you didn't do a hundred episodes. People did not yeah. just see the beauty. We just did freestyling off the yeah. fly. <laughs> we got tabs up. We got, we got phones up. We got highlighters and pins. Um, and we talked a lot about a lot of important stuff like there that I just don't think you're going to get anywhere else. Yeah, and kind of like the full circle of this is that we as DFW and North Texas are growing a ton. And I think that we need to know as Fort Worth, how are we going to play a role in that? That is not just riding on the coattails of growth in Dallas and Frisco and Plano in Collin and Denton County. Like we need to see how we are being proactive as a city and a county to capitalize on this growth and leverage the assets that we have. Going back to the settlers of Catan comment, like (laughs) let's trade our resources, let's use what we have as far as land, the ability to produce energy, water, and let's make it so that we are an integral part of this growth instead of just riding on the back of growth that is happening elsewhere. All right, so let's go ahead and move into our wins and losses. Um, Man, that that was that was good, and uh, I think the bow you just provided was excellent. So uh, I'll go ahead and jump into my loss first. This is another topic I feel like is really big, and it's the two point six million dollar um, sex education that has now been canceled and won't be used um, for Fort Worth ISD students. Um, our superintendent, Superintendent Ramsey, uh, has canceled the usage of this sex education. Uh, Curriculum that has already been purchased. Um, educators already been certified and planned to teach. And it's a loss for two reasons for me. One, it's it's a loss because the new superintendent, I believe, is trying to find their space in Fort Worth um, as they came from Midland, Texas. And um, in the article, uh, the conservative white politician kind of showcases hey kudos listening this isn't her fault she's new that that decision was made by kent scribner and so like the the article was really trying to actually give her kudos in a way of like this was a good like showing good leadership um but i don't think that's the case because the issue here is that 
only like four sections of that curriculum was about anything sexual, you know, from male parts, female parts, um, pregnancy, everything else was really standard grooming and, you know, health. And because we cancel that, uh, kids are not going to receive that who need that. And sure, the white schools of Fort Worth ISD, their parents maybe teach them that and those things like that. But there's, there are kids whose parents are too busy. Parents have a lot going on. Um, you know, just the having conversations about health and wellness is just maybe not as readily available. So this really impacts, I believe, you know, the black and brown kids of Fort Worth ISD. The second part why I think it's a loss is $2.6 million on sex education curriculum, $2.6 million. Jimmy, you know what I do for a living? I put humans in kids' pockets and I could put a human in every kid's pocket for $2 million. Think about that. Like you spent $2.6 million and I could put a human in every Fort Worth ISD kid's pocket for $2 million. Think about how crazy that's how much money we spent on curriculum for flossing, for putting lotion on your hands. That is a lot of money. So it's a double loss from a financial loss that we spend that kind of money on something like this. And two, that our black and brown kids are going to be impacted by not having the grooming education that they might not get at home. Yeah, it's a... Just a ridiculous thing that this would get scrapped, and I there's just not a a good reason for it that I can see other than appeasing a group of parents that I don't don't want to teach their kids about sex, yeah, for like one day in school, and so then we perpetuate the issues with uh young pregnancies, STDs, and everything yeah there's a great uh parks and rec episode about how uh <laughs> not teaching uh sex education goes and i feel like i've compared fort worth to pawnee indiana too many <laughs> times accurately uh for the difference in size of those two places <laughs> uh well i'll move to my loss and that is that White Settlement Road will keep its name after city council scraps plans to consider change. And uh, to me, this is just another example of what I said earlier about how uh, Mayor Parker and the majority in the council kind of just like keep keep kicking the ball down the road, like keep, you know, maintaining the status quo, waiting for people to not worry about something anymore instead of actually making a decision. Um this would be cool if you could put this like in like the voting ballot. Like, you know how you have like an appendix of like things like we vote for and against. It'd be cool. Like if this could get in there. So I don't think yeah, that's possible, yeah. but it would be cool. Like if I go into the ballot and it's like, what do you think? Do you think we should approve this name of the street? And like, what would be the voting? Because I, I think moderate Republicans wouldn't vote even yes for white settlement as the road i think yeah like, we come up with whatever we want you yeah. know like something that's more inclusive as yeah. we talked about the indian asian americans not moving here yeah right? <laughs> like something if, that if you were brand new and you're looking for places to live and you look at zillow and you're like oh, i like that house and then it says white settlement road you know well, that's what literally in this story there is someone from a native american tribe who said from the comanche nature comanche nation um who said when she moved to the fort worth area she told her real estate agent like you can't show me anything <laughs> that has white settlement in the address um and it's like this is just a, it's such an easy simple 
win that has a lot of meaning for a lot of people. And again, it continues down into the naming the Panther Island bridges where we got 1700 name suggestions for this. And the committee is just like, yeah, like we're just not going to name the bridges right now. Like, come on, we, you have wasted people's time and energy and effort. And even if it didn't take long, like you're still asking people to civically participate and then just telling them, ah, no, like we don't really care about your suggestions. We're not going to do anything with it, which like continues to snowball into, well, why, why do I need to vote? Like they don't listen to me anyways. They don't do anything with what I, uh, tell them they don't follow up on things I'd ask for. They don't let me participate in the conversation. So why would I go Mm. out and vote? Like it's just a classic tactic to make local government and government in general seem irrelevant so that people don't participate. So my loss is that they're not doing anything about white settlement road, but my like bigger loss with it is it's just another example of like mayor Parker, not really doing anything with simple decisions that could be made yeah and a a misuse of asking for people's public participation only to then just shut them down again well we also got i mean something we didn't talk about i'm actually surprised we didn't put that as one of our story options is the current funding of fort worth right now you know where the funding is who's have funding michael crane has a lot of funding maddie has a lot of funding you know, they're about to go for re-election. They're probably just like, let me save grace until right. I, until I get there. Right. Which is probably also the issue with two years of having to run for office every year. Two is pretty quick. Yeah. 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 But, um, so again, I wouldn't want Maddie Parker's job and playing that fine line of a young modern Republican, but knowing that you live in a city and County where, you know, a lot of the Capitol riot leaders, obviously, and the QAnon founders yeah. started. So, you know, she's she's she is running a tight tight rope uh, as well. But um, but yeah, no, definitely a loss um, that we can't get away from white settlement. Yeah, I'll go into my win, which is that the Forest Park miniature train is finally going to be bought and redone so that it can run again. The train runs from over by the zoo down through Forest Park like it's a great you know, dynamic little uh, thing that for that's been running for like 50 years. Um, it closed in March 2022 because of the declining health of the person who operated it. Um, so it's been, I mean, anytime we go to Dream Park, my kid goes like, is the train running yet? Is the train running yet? Is the train running yet? Like <laughs> it, it's something that is just like a fun and easy asset for the area i do kind of wish that like the city would have just taken this up like i it you know this person's going to privatize it they're going to add a uh like merchandise stand and all of those things like do would make the experience better you know and like a real website um but i'm kind of like i feel like the city could have easily just taken this under their wing really easily made it a a lot easier funding thing a lot easier than an adult train you know you know you don't want to fund adult trains (laughs) maybe that's it we don't want we don't want to give anybody the idea that we're interested in funding some sort of train (laughs) but i am excited that 
uh, they will be reopening it sometime soon and that something is happening with it um, because it's a, a cute little character thing about Fort Worth. Yeah, yeah, no, that is awesome. Um, we're going to end with also a, a win with celebrating Fort Worth Report with receiving a $1 million investment um, by the American Journalism Project. Uh, that is huge news um, because Fort Worth Report, I think, is an example of future strategies of how local newspapers are going to survive. Um, there's a lot of benefits from having a nonprofit-based news circulation, um, and I think I, I'm just a big fan of Chris. I'm, I'm a big fan of their journalists and just everything and all the work they do. And it without them, um, who knows? And uh, they're you know they're even getting more involved with that Fort Worth way, uh, a candid conversation with Betsy Price and Dante Williams from Community Frontline and Jennifer Trevino from Leadership Fort Worth. Like they just do so much to bring both parties in a room or people with interesting thoughts uh, together. And like, so to me, it's even more than just a newspaper. It's a, it's, it's a bridge that, that I'm, I'm glad that is existing and we're funding with the $1.1 million. Agreed. Yeah. I love that, you know, Star Telegram has pulled away from these types of, from seeking out these types of grants and investments. Um, and we are very lucky to have something like the Fort Worth Report in our city um, and so I, I'm excited that they are continuing to see success and be funded in a way that continues to bring great journalism to the community. Awesome. Well, hey, you know what? I thought this was going to be a long episode. We finished in 50 minutes. So that's a nice episode. Uh, we got a lot of exciting things coming up um, still in the in the docket uh, as the voting and election starts coming around. Uh, we got some exciting guests uh, on the docket as well. So we'll keep you updated, but this this is definitely, even just for me, a uh, a pod that I'm going to bookmark because there's a lot of data in there. I'm going to do my best to put all the stories that we were citing into the description so you can kind of try to follow along, especially with that map thing that the, ur- <laughs> uh, that, that the Urban Fort Worth uh, guy did. Uh, that was super cool. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, email, whatever. However, you have to contact us. Uh, we uh, we appreciate your continued support, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.